0: Uh, we're coming to uh, the Christmas account and we're looking at it through uh, the, the lens of Luke's gospel. And uh, Luke wants us to recognize that, that the Christian faith is about certainty and confidence. Uh, we looked last week at Luke's uh, opening words and his description of, of what he was trying to do as he's writing this gospel. Uh, firstly, we saw that, uh, that his work is, is drawn from the eyewitnesses. Uh, Luke is Interviewed the people who were there, what did they see, what did they hear? Uh, secondly, his work is built along others. Uh, he says that there are many have uh, undertaken to uh, write up accounts like this. in other words luke isn 't working uh, in isolation; there are others that he can check with, others that he can collate their work with. Uh, thirdly, uh, this work is is marked by the fulfillment of what was promised. Uh, the old Testament scriptures. Uh, set and shape the expectations uh, about the Jewish Messiah? And, and does, does, does Jesus fulfill that kind of photo fit uh, expectation they have? Does he look like the one they were looking for? And Luke wants his readers to be certain about the content of the gospel, uh, what the Christian message actually is, uh, certain about the credibility of the Christian gospel, that, that it is historically and theologically believable public truth and certain about the gospel so that we can communicate it with courage and boldness now we get we get the the idea of where luke wants us to go by seeing how his book finishes uh, luke chapter 24 final chapter he gives us three eyewitness accounts of luke of jesus resurrection and we hear Jesus commissioning his followers. Uh, Jesus tells them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. So very similar to his opening sentence. Eyewitnesses, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And confidence about the gospel to preach it and teach it. To the world, So that's where Luke wants to move his readers, move people like us as we engage with his book. But where does he start? Where does he think people are beginning with as they come to this account of Jesus? Uh, which brings us to this episode with Zechariah serving as a priest in the temple of God. Uh, all four Gospels begin in different ways. Uh, Mark and John, they, they essentially start their account with John the Baptist, but John the Baptist's all grown up, out in the wilderness, preaching, introducing Jesus. Matthew has some uh, different episodes around Jesus' birth, the, the angel visiting Joseph, or the Magi uh, meeting and talking with King Herod. So Luke has some options about where he's going to begin. But like Mark and John, Luke begins with John the Baptist, but Luke just starts a little bit further back with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And Luke has chosen to begin with Zechariah, John's father, in the temple of God. Why does Luke start here? Well, one reason is that Luke wants to connect his account of John and the, the introduction of Jesus with, with all that's gone before. As Luke said in his opening words, he's, he's drawing up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. And this, this episode with Zechariah links to the, the circumstances around it. John and Jesus, their, their birth. It links it all the way back into the Old Testament story. And the essential connection with that Old Testament story isn't anything political. Uh, we get a brief mention of King Herod, but really that's just a kind of date marker. Herod doesn't speak. Herod doesn't do anything. Now, th- th- this account, it's not about national politics. It's an account about religion, spirituality. And so the focus goes straight to the temple, straight to the heart of Israel's worship and relationship with God. Now, you, you, if you hang around to the end of Luke's Gospel, you get to see uh, priests and religious leaders in pretty bad lights. Uh, there they are plotting Jesus' murder particularly ugly side of the priesthood. But the, the focus at the start of Luke's gospel is on one priest and his wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are good people. Uh, we're told that they have impeccable religious credentials. Uh, both are descended from priestly families. And Elizabeth, she can trace her family line all the way back to the first high priest, Moses' brother, Aaron. And this couple not only had the right heritage, but they also had the right spirituality. We're told, verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So this is a good and godly couple. This is the best version of the priesthood on display here in chapter 1. This is Israelite religion on a good day. Nevertheless, tragically, this faithful couple, they were childless. And now because they're old, look, the chances of pregnancy for them are zero. That phase of life has passed them by. But in the providence of God, Zechariah is selected out of his division, out of his family, to be the priest who, who went into the inner area of the temple on this occasion. Uh, Zechariah would have been serving with around 750 other priests, and they would have uh, two one-week periods each year when they would serve. So you've got all these priests, but only a handful of opportunities to do something special, something significant like offering incense in the holy place. And so they drew lots. And it was a uh, to see who, you know, who was going to get that privilege. And, it, and it's a kind of once-in-a-lifetime privilege. If a priest has done this thing once... That's it. That's your turn. You don't get to go in the lot again. So you get to do it once in your life, and you never get to do it again. So for Zechariah, this is the high point of his entire life as a priest. This is his once-in-a-lifetime pinnacle moment of priestly service, going into the holy place in the temple to offer incense. He's all alone in the intersection of the temple, burning incense, Outside, it's, it's the worshipping and praying community, but inside the temple precinct, just Zechariah. And quite unexpectedly, the angel of the Lord appears and scares the living daylights out of Zechariah. And once his heart rate has dropped, uh, he's given a message. His prayer has been answered. What was it that Zechariah was praying for? Well, from the answer that the angel gives, it seems that Zechariah was praying for two things, something personal and something for the nation. Uh, because the message from the angel is both a personal message and a message for the nation. And they're, they're tied together. But personally, he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible storyline, this is a scenario you'll recognise. Abraham and Sarah... They were old and childless, and yet they had Isaac. Zora and Manoah were childless, and yet they had Samson. Elkanah and Hannah were childless, and yet they had Samuel. And Zechariah's son, John, oh, he's going to be special too, which is the message to the nation. See, the Lord's not just blessing a childless couple. He's showing kindness to a rebellious nation, by sending John, John will be great in the sight of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And do see the shape of John's ministry. Verse sixteen, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John will bring people back to the Lord. John will turn hearts. John will move the disobedient. The angel gives a rather disappointing and bleak account of the state of the nation. They are far from the Lord and they actually need to be turned around and brought back to him. And John will have a powerful ministry when he grows up bringing many Israelites back to the Lord. In fact, John's ministry will have the flavour of the, the promises made to Malachi. John will be the promised Elijah figure who will come and turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and who will see the disobedient embrace wisdom and righteousness. John's big work will be preparing a people for the Lord as he comes. Now, in this episode with Zechariah, we're given connection after connection that 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 takes us back into the Old Testament story. This isn't a new beginning. This is very much a continuation of all that's happened before. It's been 400 years since there's been a public word from the Lord. The words of Malachi, the prophet, last book of the Old Testament, four centuries old. But here's a fresh promise, picking up on the words of Malachi, as though just to continue straight on, fulfillment of those words a promise of new hope, a word from the Lord, given at the heart of Israel's center of worship, given to a priest inside the temple in Jerusalem. That's the, the big message for the nation. And so here is Zechariah, a picture and representative of the, the better part of Israel, an Abraham-like figure, described as faithful and godly. And what is his reaction to the angel's words Oh, I'm so thankful I've been praying, praying for a child, praying for the nation. Oh, I'm just looking forward to this so much. Thank you so much. No, verse 18. Uh, Zechariah said to the, asked the angel, uh, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well on in years. In other words, uh, I don't think you got it right, Mr. Angel. Don't you know that my wife and I were past it? We can't have a baby. We're too old. Uh, here's a good priest, dutifully making an offering to the Lord, in the temple, in Jerusalem, the high point of his priestly service, an angel is talking to him, and yet we are told, the promised child is an answer to Zechariah's prayers, and how does he respond? With doubt and unbelief. Oh, we have a good priest doing all the right actions. Doubt, unbelief, uncertainty. Zechariah is praying, but he's not really believing his prayers could be answered. I mean, he's hoping for the nation, but without any real expectation. Faithful, but full of doubts. This little cameo of one priest is, is a picture of the nation. It's at its best, it's all kind of worn and threadbare. Oh, the people of God, they have this wonderful heritage, incredible promises, but they're just kind of going through the motions, jaded, weary. And the consequence, they are condemned to silence. A priest at the centre of something incredible happening in the temple, and he has no word no message, just silence to offer. Zechariah is a picture of the whole people of God at the start of Luke. Weary, jaded, hope fading, nothing to say. And even those who, who do sting, still cling to hope, oh, they're doing it in hiding, they're doing it privately, verse 24. And after this, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord's done this for me, she said. In these days, he's shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. It's a quiet hope, a personal hope, not a lot of boldness or certainty. It's seclusion and secrecy. Five months hiding away. Oh, I know I'm pregnant and that's amazing, but who knows, will it, will it, will it end well? That's the opening scene. It has this promise of something new and better, but it has these people who were... Weary and slow and doubting and uncertain, unwilling to believe God's message. And how will the situation change? I mean, how do you go from a Zechariah to the promised John? How, how do you go from a speechless father to a preaching son? How do you go from doubt to the one filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly preparing the way for the Lord? Uh, there's this great generational divide. How do you get from one to the other? How do you go from Zechariah to John? Uh, even more interesting, how do you go from Zechariah to Zechariah? You see, by the end of chapter 1, if you turn over the page... Zechariah is himself transformed. There you see a little title in the NIV, Zechariah's song. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. His mouth is open. He is praising the Lord. He is confident in his faith. He is a prophet, just like his son. How does that happen? I assume that is a question that we're all interested in because church people have lots of wonderful heritage and amazing promises, but it can all become duty and going through the motions. There's nothing like the rinse and repeat of the Christmas season for you to go, oh yeah, here we go, all again, the promises of Jesus' birth. Sure, very excited. Yeah, let's sing that carol one more time. We're singing, but is there joy? Oh, we're praying, but we're not really believing that our prayers will be answered. Hoping for the future. Man, there are no real expectations that anything is going to be different. Are faithful, but full of misgivings and doubts. How do you and I go from being jaded and weary and doubting and silently cynical? to confident, joyful, prophetic praise, to, to bold, joyful, spirit-filled song? Well, the answer comes in Luke 1, 26 to 38, when an angel meets Mary. Uh, clearly, this passage has been shaped by Luke to contrast his opening section. Uh, Mary's story parallels the and contrasts with Zechariah's. Luke wants us to compare the, the two announcement episodes, but, but I think also Luke wants us to see that the episode with Mary is a, is a kind of point of transition and change. Something happens here that, that, that transforms things. Before the announcement to Mary, we had crusty, old, unbelieving, silent Zechariah. But after this episode, everyone from, from Mary to the unborn John the Baptist to Elizabeth to Zechariah himself, everyone is filled with joyful praise. And what God wants us to understand right from the start of this account and the birth of the Lord Jesus is that, that this is the encounter that changes things. And an encounter with the announcement of Jesus Christ, that changes and transforms people. People like Zechariah, people like us. What change do we see here? What changes people? Well, firstly, it's, a, it's an announcement of grace You will conceive and give birth to a son. It's a kind of unexpected, gracious announcement. Zechariah's episode begins with him praying a prayer. Perhaps a prayer he no longer believes, but he is praying. And when the angel promises Zechariah a son and the, the renewal of Israel, Gabriel is giving Zechariah what he was asking for. But Mary's encounter comes completely out of the blue. I mean it's it's completely God's initiative. It's all grace. For Mary. Uh, with Zechariah, we have the promise of a miraculously assisted birth, a baby born to parents long since past doing so. But with Mary, it's a completely unprecedented miracle. I mean, even with all our tele- technological advances, women don't get pregnant without some sort of assistance of a man, except this one. Because this is the sudden appearance of God's grace. Out of nowhere, God has decided to bless. It, it's his initiative, his favour, just because of who he is, just because he's kind. See, If there's going to be a transformation, if, it, if the impossible is going to happen, if silent witnesses are going to become uh, spirit-filled servants, it's going to be a work of God's grace. What really changes things in Luke 1 the announcement of grace, but also the announcement of God's Son. Verse 30, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will receive. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, the fact that this child will be born the son of God. It's emphasised, there's a repetition, verse 32 and verse 35, the son of God, the son of God. And that title, son of God, can be taken two ways. Now, firstly, it's a, it's a very human title for the ideal king of Israel. Uh, all the kings in the line of David were called uh, and declared to be God's son. You see that sort of thing being worked out in uh, Psalm 2. So we're not really, really uh, surprised to read that the angel says, verse 32, he'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. But the title Son of God can also be taken a second way. You see, just simmering below the surface line of this encounter with Mary are the words of Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Luke wants us to hear that Isaiah 9 echoes in this scene. Because he wants us to understand that this son isn't just any old son of David, like all the other descendants of David. No, this son is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the the Lord Himself, come to reign. Now, certainly, Jesus will be a king, but in fact, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Himself, is coming to reign as king, and that begins to explain why this announcement is so transformative. The child that is announced is the one who gives life to everyone and everything. Everyone that comes into contact with this child is revived. Uh, the baby John in his mother's womb leaps with the spirit because pregnant Mary comes near. Old Zechariah, uh, later on in chapter 2, old Simeon and ancient Anna, they come alive because of this baby boy. Hardened shepherds are are filled with joy because of who this child is. In our post-COVID, cost-of-living, challenged world, everyone's desperate for a fresh start. But I have to remember that an authentic Christian renewal, a new beginning, actually happens with an encounter with this son. It begins with the announcement, the word about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you understand who he is, you'll begin to understand what he brings. And what he brings is the announcement of a new creation. Now verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive in her, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Now This baby will be the result of nothing less than an act of creation. It's not a creation out of nothing. Mary's involved, but no man is involved. Uh, Mary sees the problem straight away. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I don't know a man. Uh, it's worth noticing the difference between uh, Zechariah and Mary. Both of them have a question of the angel, but, but Zechariah is questioning whether Gabriel's words could possibly come true. Surely old age and infertility are too much for God to overcome. Where Zechariah is asking if God's word could possibly come true, Mary's asking about the how, the mechanics. How's this conception going to happen if I'm not sleeping with anyone? Oh, but Gabriel's answer drives home that this is a new creation moment just as we read in the book of Genesis and the opening verses that the Spirit hovered over the waters at the beginning and God spoke and the world burst into existence. Well, in the same way, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And we get another little reminder of Genesis to hear that Elizabeth, she's pregnant. She's pregnant a new Sarah pregnant with a new Isaac. It's a new beginning, a, a new world. Next time that Luke uses that title, son of God, it's a description of something happened at the very beginning. It's a description of the first man, Adam, the first son of God. It's, it's there at the end of chapter three, that little reference. See, this moment of grace is a new start for the whole world. It's a new creation as God draws near, as the Lord comes to be king. It's the beginning of a whole new humanity. Zechariah, Israel, even old Adam are given a new start, given life because of the birth of this son. That is what it takes to get from Zechariah to John or from Zechariah at the start of chapter 1 to Zechariah at the end of chapter 1. Uh, we live in days when everybody wants a fresh start, desperate for a new beginning. So tempting to think that, well, new starts come inevitably because of changed circumstances. We'll, we'll just roll into 2024. Things are going to be better and different next year. Surely life will be different. Onward and upward, a new school year, new classmates. Out of the gloom of rain and cloud, please, one day, into a few sunny days new house, a new job, a new hobby, surely life will change. There can be markers of fresh starts. Perhaps they will be in some small way. But a lasting new beginning, a real fresh start, an authentic renewal, it doesn't come from just changed circumstances. A new diet, a New Year's resolution, a new gadget you get for Christmas. No, no, it comes from a believing encounter with the Word of Christ. What we need isn't a new outfit or a day at the beach. What we need is to be raised to new life from the dead. What we need is new creation grace, which is why we need this child. In the opening pages of Luke's Gospel, he's inviting you to come and see just how significant this child, this, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, this Holy Son of God really is. See, with Zechariah, we have a, a continuation of the story, that all that's happened before keeps on happening. And yet, with the announcement to Mary, no, 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 we need something new, a whole new beginning. And so the gospel is a story of continuation and connection with all that's gone before, but also with something new and fresh and different. Luke says, will you let me introduce you to Jesus? Oh, so far it's just an introduction, but but this child signals the dawn of grace, the arrival of the favour of God, the God himself coming to make things new, the start of a whole new world. And Jesus is the one who changes everything. And if we want a new start, it must begin with a determined focus on him. It's the announcement of this child that changes Zechariah from as he is at the beginning of chapter 1, to Zechariah as he is by the end of chapter 1. In some ways it's not hard for us to identify with Zechariah. I mean, we know what it is like to want to wait for the promise of God, but doubt that it will ever really happen. We, we, we want to be prayers and we go through the motion of praying, but we're not really expecting that much to happen. We know what it is to be weary and Going through the cycles, feeling like you're on the treadmill of a Christian life, weary, jaded, thinking we haven't got much to say. And if we might sometimes feel this way, how much more the weary world around us? A world that has no hope, only hype. No real expectation, only a lot of fear. Oh, plenty of news but nothing really worth saying. Zechariah is very relatable for us, whoever we are. And Luke is inviting you to come and hear the only thing that will renew and transform you and fill you with God's spirit and give you something worth saying. God's gracious new creation announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Mary ends the episode with the angel this way. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary gets right what Zechariah gets wrong. Here is a word of grace, a word of new creation, the announcement of the Son of God. And she does what all sane people do when they encounter the word of God. She believed it. May your word to me be fulfilled. And so also for us. Let each of us respond to the Lord Jesus with that word. May your word to me about Jesus be fulfilled. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks and praise. You're a God who enters our world through the Lord Jesus. You take all that's come before and you make it brand new. Father, we pray that you would renew us. Turn our songs into songs of real joy. Turn our prayers into prayers of real faith. Turn our expectations into real longings of hope. Give us not just trite words to say, but fresh words to say. May your word to us be fulfilled as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.